Holy Gospel according to John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You, you have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Sisters and brothers, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. In the book of Exodus, God appears to Moses in a burning bush, and you know this story, most of you. He tells him to go to Egypt where God's chosen people, the Israelites, are being held as slaves. And when you get to Egypt, God says, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses says to God, well, he may not feel much like listening just to me telling him that. Who should I tell him is telling me to tell him that? Who are you? What is your name? And God tells Moses that God's name in Hebrew is something like, we can talk later about why we don't know exactly, maybe the 100% certainly exactly what the, the, the Hebrew word is. The vowels are a little debatable. But it's something like Yahweh, which in Hebrew means something like I am who I am which maybe sounds like it doesn't tell us anything at all, except that it does. The first thing being that it tells us that God is, that God exists. And the second thing to know is that, is that God, who is God, is, is not the God we think God should, should be. God is who God is, not who we decide God should be, which of course is a very good thing given the fact that we humans, when we're the ones defining our gods, pretty much inevitably end up with a god who, and isn't this convenient, thinks just like we do. I am, God says to Moses, and I am who I am. I am not someone you get to have your say about what I'm like. That said, what can we say about what God is like. And how do we, how does anyone answer that question without once again turning God into someone we'd like or someone we imagine? How can we, we who are way too often wannabe gods, but who are nevertheless actually tiny, 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 tiny little not-gods, in this, on this tiny, tiny little speck of a planet in God's universe, how can we 
tiny us's possibly know with any confidence that is worth being confident about what the God who is truly God is truly actually like. Jesus, the New Testament says, is something of God. Come to this tiny little planet in the flesh. Jesus, in other words, says the unique and uniquely powerful Christian testimony comes to earth to tell us about, to show us, to walk around in the flesh being for us a God who is more than a God who is, but a God who is also knowable. The exact way he said that in John 14, 9 is like this. To see me, he said, is to see the Father. Seven times, all of them in John's Gospel, Jesus adds descriptive clarity to that claim by saying two words that his biblically literate Jewish listeners would absolutely have heard as echoing loudly from the story of Moses and the burning bush and a God who says, I am who I am. Because seven times in John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am. Except he doesn't leave it at that. He goes on with seven descriptors, which do tell us more than that God is, by going on to tell us, too, in seven different ways what God is like. Because God is like Jesus. And so last week, in last week's text from John 10, we had Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And so this week, we hear from John 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine grower. He removes Every branch in me that bears no fruit, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. Abide in me as I abide in you. For just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me you can do nothing. There are so many things I hear those words telling us are true. I'm just going to point to a few of them. A first thing. Imagine in my hand the branch that I cut yesterday from my daughter's yard and then left in my wife's car. It was a lilac branch from uh, a lilac tree that is in my daughter's yard, and it, had, it has buds all set to leaf out, some of them into leaves, some of them just showing the tiniest hints of leafing out into flowers, beautiful, fragrant lilac flowers, which of course we will soon see all over town. But that branch that I'm not holding up in my hand is never going to flower, right? 
Because why? Because it is no longer connected to the shrub. It is sitting on the passenger seat of my wife's car, connected to nothing. It has everything in itself to be what it is meant to be, except that connection to something more than just itself. Without which, and isn't this interesting, without that connection to something beyond itself, it won't ever fully become itself. I just think that's so darn interesting, I gotta say it again. Without a connection to something beyond itself, it won't ever, it can't ever fully become itself. Max Lucado writes, take a fish and place it on a beach Watch its gills gasp and its scales dry. Is it happy? No. How do you make it happy? Do you cover it with a mountain of cash? Do you get it a beach chair, sunglasses, and a martini? Of course not. How do you make it happy? You put it back in the water. For a fish can't be a fish just by itself. A fish can only be a fish in connection to water. And so too, that lilac branch has everything in itself to be what it is meant to be, except that sitting in the front seat passenger car of my wife's car, it never will be, because it doesn't anymore have a connection to more than itself. That being in the case of the bush, of the branch, that lilac bush in my daughter's yard. And you have everything in yourself to be what you are meant to be, except that you will never fully be, though Lord knows many have tried, without a connection to someone more than just yourself. That being, in your case, God. Or, in Jesus' words, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever does not abide in me withers. In his classic book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says pretty much the same thing by saying this, God made us. God invented us as a person invents an engine. A car made to run on gasoline would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on God. God is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, the food our spirits were designed to feed on, there is no other. And therefore, he concludes, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself, because it is not there. There is no such thing. Interesting. Way interesting, I think. I mean, have you ever wondered, we used to play games when we thought we were smart, about things that maybe God couldn't do? C.S. Lewis suggests that there are things God cannot do, for even God, he says, cannot make you truly happy without God. Even God cannot make you truly happy without God. Now, you can agree or disagree with that, I suppose, but it's certainly consistent with Jesus' words that we are branches and he is the vine, which surely means that your life will not be the life it is meant to be, won't even be fully life at all without Jesus as the fuel you are running on, the food 
you are feeding on, the branch you are connected to and drawing life from. Not even God, C.S. Lewis says, can change that. For not even God, Jesus says, can give you life that is actually alive without a connection that is live to the vine, the source of life. A second thing, I was thinking about um, whether or not lilac branches communicate with each other, and I'm thinking that in some way or another they do. I'm quite sure they do, but I don't speak lilac, and so I don't, I don't hear them as they're speaking. But I was imagining when I cut that branch that's in my wife's car um, from my daughter's lilac tree, I was imagining that they do communicate with each other, and then I was imagining that this particular lilac branch Ever since last year, when it grew and set its buds, that's what lilacs do, by the way. They set their buds for this year's flowers the previous year, which is also, by the way, what happens when Christians do things like worship and pray and read scripture. Buds are set, buds which will bloom into flowers and fruits in their time, in their season. But anyway, I was imagining that this particular branch last season, ever since last season, has been chafing. As it has watched, for example, my daughter walking around in her backyard, or my daughter's dog running around in her backyard, or cardinals flying around in her backyard, I've imagined that this, this branch was chafing because those things could do all of that because, because they weren't anchored down to a tree. They were free. So I was imagining that that branch has been chafing, telling the other branches in lilac, um, in whatever way that happens, saying to the other branches these last months that it wants to be free. And then I was imagining, at that moment yesterday when I cut it off, this branch, well maybe first saying ouch, but then turning to the other branches, still trying to tie to the tree, and gleefully, gloatingly singing, I'm free. I'm free. And of course, in that sense, that freedom means no connections, and therefore no limits that come with connections. It is true. That branch, as of yesterday at about 12.30, that branch in that sense is free. Of course, it's also more than free, right? It is soon and completely dead. Never to live again. Turns out that freedom, defined as having no connections and no limits, has its own limits. And those limits aren't free. They are terminal. Which I hear Jesus say when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You will instead wither. A third and final thing. I am the vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. A while back, just when it seemed like winter was over, and then that proved to be, well, what do we know? But a while back, I cut two branches from the spruce tree 
in my backyard. I cut one of them off because it was doing nothing and it was going to keep on doing nothing. It had come through the winter dead and it was never going to stop being dead. It was brown with deadness. I don't want a dead spruce tree in my yard. I want a live spruce tree. So I cut back the dead to make way for life. The second branch, however, that I cut back wasn't dead. It was a fine looking branch full of bud sets and ready to burst forth to make more branches and spruce fruit, cones. I cut that branch off anyway. Why? Because that spruce tree in my backyard had two branches competing to be the leader branch. And that spruce tree won't be beautiful with the beauty it could be beautiful with in my eyes, nor will it be strong as strong as the strength that's meant to be strong with, with two branches vying for leadership. With leadership split, that tree will be divided at its top, and as a result, it will never be vulnerable and weakened, open potentially to, to diseasing, and frankly, less attractive. I just had a, an English major friend of mine whisper in my ear that diseasing may not be the word. So I cut off the branch that was trying to usurp leadership of the tree so that it could be healthy and beautiful with every bit of health and beauty that it was created for and that I could, I could see in it. So, too, people can only be healthy and beautiful with every bit of the health and beauty they were created for if they have one leader branch. And that leader branch is Jesus. God, Jesus says, removes from us, and we, Scripture says elsewhere, our culture move from our own lives all branches that bear no fruit or branches that bear unsightly or tree-weakening fruit, which is the fruit of anything that is at odds with, that competes with the leadership, the way, the spirit of Jesus. And what does the fruit of Jesus' leadership look like, taste like, smell like, when its buds in their season blossom into leaves and flowers and then fruits? Paul, and Galatians says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. Tree-weakening branches seek control. They want to take over the lead, even though that's not what they were created for. And when that happens, when we people insist on controlling things for ourselves, as well as that, for that matter, we want to control others around us as though they were things, just for the use and pleasure of us ourselves, rather than controlling ourselves by surrendering control to the leadership of God instead. When that human usurpation of God's leadership happens, well, 
Genesis 3 in a story which interestingly is about people and fruit describes that who cares what God said I'm in charge around here moment as the birth moment of the diseased ugliness of sin in God's world where people ever since have propagated and fertilized and kept on becoming and kept on being tree weakening branches in the God planted shrubbery of relationships and communities and even the earth itself as they as we as I become and insist on again still becoming branches laden with the not spiritual but rather toxic fruits of unlove, unjoy, unpeace, impatience, ungoodness, unfaithfulness, ungentleness, all uncontrolled. Tree enriching and beautifying branches then, repentant of our attempts and desires for such control, lovingly, joyfully, repentantly, Seek ever to yield control to the one in whose shade and shelter we and all will be grown in the ways of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which, of course, we cannot do on our own. Indeed, on our own, on my own, we and I will fight relinquishing control, and we will do so to the death of us. But we are not. We are not ever on our own. For there is ever the presence of God's Spirit in the hearts and minds of those who, in the waters of baptism, for example, have been claimed as God's own. And there is, too, the promise of God's own Son, who says, and this is not, listen to it carefully, who says not, first of all, as a command, but as a promise. I am the vine. You are the branches. You did not choose me. I chose you. And I chose you to go into the sin, diseased weediness of my world, there to bear fruit that is good and delicious fruit, for it is the fruit of my love for you. And for all, 